Welcome to The S Factor. Now here's your host, Chuck Shazer. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new edition of The S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer, and I want to welcome you aboard my starship. We're going to travel around the solar system, go into interstellar space, talk about all things terrestrial and celestial right here on the S Factor. I want to welcome you to the S Factor. You can catch me here the first Saturday of the month on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. Welcome. It is February 6, 2021, and we have so many cool things to talk about. Of course, the S Factor, as always, is brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net. If you have young ones in your life, if you have nieces, nephews, and you want to get them interested and engaged in learning more about science, visit scienceanimated.net. There you'll find a 40-minute feature called Science Animated Human Body. Sold those all across the country. It's a DVD or a stream. You can purchase that as either or. And there's a lot of free content there as well. Scienceanimated.net. And if you missed the S-Factor here, you can catch the S-Factor on your favorite podcasting service. You can look up the S-Factor on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcast. If you miss any of these S-Factor shows, you can check out scienceanimated.net, listen to the show that way, or your favorite podcast service. Just type in the S-Factor, and you'll see me there. There's so many cool things happening in the world of science. Let's get right down to it. Our feature topic for today, after we talk about the science news, have you heard anything about this object, this interstellar object? known as a MOA MOA. There's a scientist that believes this has been, it's an artificial structure from an advanced civilization that came into our solar system not long ago. We're going to see what he has to say about that, but that's going to be the feature topic. A MOA MOA. Right here today on Yes Factor. Again, thank you for joining me. Let's get back and let's get right into the science news. Now, here's a topic in the science news that, frankly, it's something I love discussing. I've talked about this on past S-Factors. It's the topic of artificial intelligence. There are major companies. The biggest companies in the world right now are working on perfecting AI. What does that mean for us humans? Well, that's a heck of an open-ended question, is it not? Who knows where it's going to lead? Hopefully it leads to great things and not a Terminator-like situation. But I love talking about that on the S-Factor. I've devoted shows to that. Check out some of the past S-Factors for that. But this particular news bit is on AI. And this is from businessinsider.com. Now, humans wouldn't be able to control a superintelligent AI according to a new study. It may not be theoretically possible to predict the actions of artificial intelligence according to research produced by a group from the Max Planck Institute for Humans and Machines. A superintelligent machine that controls the world sounds like science fiction, said Manuel Sebrin, co-author of the study and leader of the research group. But there are already machines that perform certain important tasks independently without programmers fully understanding how they learned it. Our society is moving increasingly towards a reliance on artificial intelligence, from AI-run interactive job interviews to creating music and even memes. AI is already very much part of everyday life. 
According to the research group's study, published in a journal of artificial intelligence research, to predict an AI's actions, a simulation of that exact superintelligence would need to be made. The question of whether a superintelligence could be contained is hardly a new one. Manuel Ilfonsico, co-author of the study and leader of the research group at the Max Planck Institute Center for Humans and Machines, said that it all centers around contaminant algorithms, not dissimilar to Asimov's first law of robotics, according to EIEE. In 1942, prolific science fiction writer Isaac Asimov laid out the three laws of robotics in his short story, Runaround, as part of the iRobot series. According to Asimov, a robot could not harm a human or allow them to come to harm. It had to obey orders unless such orders conflicted with the first law, and they had to protect themselves, provided this didn't conflict with the first or the second law. The scientists explore two different ways to control artificial intelligence. The first being to limit an AI's access to the internet. The team also explored Alan Turing's halting problem, concluding that a contaminant algorithm to simulate the behavior of AI, where the algorithm would halt the AI if it were to harm humans. And it seems like this is a concern, definitely of Elon Musk, this is a concern that many people have. The billion dollar, the multi-billion dollar companies that are rushing to do this must ask themselves this question. It's almost as if we need oversight, like a global oversight on this technology, because this is really important stuff. We got to make sure we get this right, because if we can't control the AI once it's made, I think it's a good idea that everyone works together to make sure that there's some kind of a switch that we can turn off or some way we can get into it. But, but the problem is, we're talking about super intelligence here. It's going to outthink us. So how do we get around that? How do we get around that? Alan Turing's halting problem explores whether a program can be stopped with contaminant algorithms or will continue running indefinitely. A machine is asked various questions to see whether it reaches conclusions or becomes trapped in a vicious cycle. This test can also be applied to less complex machines. But with artificial intelligence, this is complicated by their ability to retain all computer programs in their memory. A superintelligence poses a fundamentally different problem than those typically studied under the banner of robotic ethics, said the researchers. If artificial intelligence were educated using robotic laws, it might be able to reach independent conclusions, but that doesn't mean it can be controlled. The ability of modern computers to adapt using sophisticated machine learning algorithms makes it even more difficult to make assumptions about the eventual behavior of a superintelligent AI, said Ian Rowan, another researcher on the team. Rowan warned that artificial intelligence shouldn't be created if it isn't necessary, as it's difficult to map the course of its potential evolution, and we won't be able to limit its capacities further down the line. Now, I think, personally, the upside of AI, it's, there's a huge upside to it, an enormous upside. If we create this superintelligence that is free-thinking, and, you know, there was a report not long ago, Google DeepMind, I believe it was, that artificial intelligence started creating its own language, which the programmers couldn't understand. That sounds a little scary, <laughs> because couldn't they talk to each other and figure out a way to overthrow us homo sapiens? But we must get this right. 
because not getting it right would have huge implications for our future, maybe have a devastating future. We have got to have the ability to control this stuff if it gets out of hand. But anyway, like I was talking about, the upside of this technology could be cures for cancer, cures for things that have been around for hundreds of years. Artificial intelligence can help us figure that stuff out. Artificial intelligence could possibly help us figure out pollution issue. How to clean the oceans. Maybe it would come up with some way out of the box method or, or maybe produce some kind of bacteria that would eat the plastics and, and whatever the pollutants are that are problematic for us. There's a huge upside. Not just a robot to help the elderly. But we're talking about maybe solving the world's most sophisticated problems. Namely in health. Maybe even space travel. Maybe it will develop a way where we can travel in space using solar energy and not fossil fuels to, I mean, because we need to have some kind of renewable source of energy if we're going to truly travel to other stars, other solar systems. We're going to need that. And I think artificial intelligence could take us in that direction. It can show us the way. But this is such, it's an enormously important piece of the puzzle to figure out how to control it. We may not even know when superintelligent machines have arrived, as trying to establish whether a device is superintelligent compared with humans is not dissimilar to the problems presented by containment. At the rate of current AI development, this advice may simply be wishful thinking, as companies from Baker McKenzie to tech giants like Google, Amazon, and Apple are still in the process of integrating AI into their businesses. So it may be a matter of time before we have a superintelligence on our hands. Unfortunately, it appears robotic laws would be powerless to prevent a potential machine uprising and that AI development is a field that should be explored with caution. Yes, it should be. Elon Musk has said that on several occasions. That we have to be careful with this technology once it arrives in full force. That's why with Neuralink, he's trying to keep us ahead of the technology by integrating it within us. And we'll get to that. There's a story about Elon Musk with Neuralink coming up. That's pretty cool. And by the way, if you ever want to reach out to me, if you have a question or comment, I know this is a pre-recorded show on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. But if you ever have a question, you can email me. You can email me. My email address is info at scienceanimated.net. If you have a question, comment, if you have a show topic you'd like me to explore, if you have a question, I'll read it on the air. I want to know what you think about artificial intelligence. Do we need it? What are we doing? I think it would be an enormous benefit to mankind. I think it would be an enormous benefit to humankind. We definitely have to be cautious. We have to be prudent about how we go about developing this technology. Like I said, you may need a regulation. You may need you may need an, an overseeing commission to make sure that this that we don't mess this up. We have one shot to get this correct with artificial intelligence. If we mess up, it could spell doom for humankind. We have to have the ability to control it in some capacity because it could think that we're just 
you know, like ants, like we're peons, like what are, what are humans? What do we need those these guys here for? They're creating war, they're pain in the butt. <laughs> so we really got to figure that out. This next science news bit is from space.com. Why is the far side of the moon so weird? Scientists may have solved a lunar mystery. The moon's mysterious far side is so much different than its near side, which we see in the night sky. And now scientists think they know why. The moon's near side and far side were once thought to be relatively similar. But with missions by robotic observers and Apollo astronauts and over the last six decades, scientists have found that they have significantly different features, many related to the moon's geologic activity. In fact, observations have shown that only about 1% of the moon's far side is covered with craters caused by volcanic activity on the moon. This sharply contrasts the object's near side, 31% of which is covered with maria. In fact, observations have shown that only about 1% of the moon's far side is covered with craters caused by a volcanic act activity. This sharply contracts the object's near side, 31% of which is covered with craters from volcanic activity. According to the giant impact hypothesis, about 4.5 billion years ago, the Earth and the moon formed when a Mars-sized object smashed into the proto-Earth. Earlier theories suggested that the moon, because it was a smaller object, cooled down faster than the Earth after this impact and geologically froze. But the idea that the moon froze after this event is an idea that has been challenged as studies have shown evidence of relatively recent geologic activity on the moon with evidence of volcanic and magnetic activity on the moon occurring as recently as one billion years ago. In the new study, researchers from the Earth Life Science Institute at Tokyo Institute of Technology, the University of Florida, the Carnegie Institution for Science, Tosun University, NASA, Johnson Space Center, and the University of New Mexico investigated the moon's geologic history and found a new explanation for the asymmetry between its far and near sides. Through a number of experiments, computer modeling, and the use of existing observations on the lunar surface, these researchers found that concentrations of radioactive elements on the moon could help to explain the asymmetry between the near and far sides of the moon. This study showed that radioactively unstable elements including potassium, thorium, and uranium create heat through the process of radioactive decay. This heat can melt the rocks where the elements are located. Because of the relative lack of erosion processes, the moon's surface records geological events from the solar system's early history. In particular, regions on the moon's near side have concentrations of radioactive elements like U and TH unlike anywhere else on the moon. Understanding the origin of the local U and TH enrichments can help explain the early stages of the moon's formation and, as a consequence, conditions on the early Earth. Additionally, researchers found the asymmetry is also linked to a property of CREP, a rock signature which is short for potassium, the chemical symbol is K, enriched rock, rare earth elements, REE, which includes cerium, dysprosium, erbium, europium, among others, and phosphorus, chemical symbol P, which is associated with lunar maria. CREP was first identified with NASA's crewed Apollo missions to the lunar surface and is associated with maria and therefore volcanic and other geologic activity. 
According to the study, in addition to heating caused by radioactive decay from unstable elements, crep enriched material on a lunar surface has lower melting points. This only added to expected geographic changes. The combined results of this study suggest that the crep enriched maria have been changing the lunar landscape since the rocky satellite was first formed billions of years ago. That's something to think about next time you look up at our beautiful moon, especially in a wonderful full moon night with a clear sky, no overcast. Of course, the far side of the moon never sees sunlight. In the way it orbits the Earth, we only see one side of the moon all the time. So this helps explain that asymmetry. Now, you know, it's still the beginning of the year. This year, 2021, is still very fresh, you know, with today being February 6th. If you made a New Year's resolution, and it was for staying in shape, I've got a treat for you. We're going to take a few minutes here and talk to Tawny Basil of Tawny Fit. Tawny is a professional personal trainer. She's certified. And if you're looking to, let's say you didn't make a New Year's resolution, let's say, well, heck with the resolutions. I just want to get in better shape. And Tawny can either do it at a gym. She can teach you at a gym. She can teach you in your own home. Or she can do it virtually. There's a lot of options available. Tawny Basil is one of the top trainers in the area and we're going to talk to her right now. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to so many people's hearts this time of year. Of course, we are in a brand new year, which is so wonderful for so many people. Everyone has been looking so forward to this new year. And what about not only looking forward to the new year, but what about looking forward to a new you? That's right. The number one sponsor of the S Factor is Tawny Fit. It is run, owned, and operated by a certified personal trainer named Tawny Basil. She's been doing it for a while, folks, and she can get you in the best shape of your life. And this is the best time of the year. There's so many people that make that New Year's resolution. How many people stick to it? Well, that's up to you, but Tawny can get you set up on the right foot. And guess who I have in studio? I've been waiting for this for a long time. Tawny Basil is here in studio. Tawny, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Great. And I... I'm sure this is a busy time of year for you. Definitely is. You have all the New Year's resolutions going around, right? The number yes. one has to be fitness. It has to be. Definitely is, yes. Everybody on Facebook, on my Instagram, they're already posting New Year's resolution, get in shape. Yeah, there's so many people that flock to gyms. It's probably the busiest time mm -hmm. for gyms also, I would imagine, right? It usually is. I'm not sure about COVID now. Because um, a lot of people are worried about going to gyms. Um, but, you know, great news is you don't need a gym to work out. That means Tawny can bring the fitness expertise to you directly. And how do you do that exactly? And now if they want to go to the gym, they can, right? Oh, absolutely. So we, I do gym. I do in-home. I bring the equipment to you. And I also do virtual, which, you know, depending on your fitness level, you may not need any equipment whatsoever. Now, what about that, folks? That, mean if, that means if you're listening right now and you're thinking about this and you're like, well, maybe I don't have weights. I'm not ready for this. It doesn't matter. Tawny Basil will train you. No weights required. What about that? There's, How can you say no? There's so many ways you can do this that, and let's, let's say you tried everything. Let's say that you are fed up with diet pills and maybe you've even tried some stuff online. Give Tawny a shot. She's been doing it for a while. She has a nice track record. She has a lot of results behind her to back it up and start the new year off right. Now, Tawny, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So I'm Tawny Fit on all social media across all platforms. 
And you can also email me at tawnyfit at gmail.com or text READY to 609-674-8077. Now, if somebody has a gym membership, how would that work with you? Um, if it is a privately owned gym, then that will be no problem. Um, I would have to talk to the owner and, and get allowance in that. Um, but as far as commercial gyms go, it is a little bit harder. Really just depends on who owns the gym. Now, if somebody has a gym at home, can you still help them? If they've bought some weights or an elliptical, we make house visits to help people or not? Absolutely. I do house visits. And also if you kind of feel like you, you can work out on your own, but you need a little bit of guidance. I can also write you a workout plan for you to do on your own as well. Well, you can't beat that folks. I mean, no matter what your situation is, no matter how busy you may be, no matter if you want to go to a gym or not, in either case, Tawny Basil can help you reach your goal. Now, that's what it's all about. And we're not talking about starting this and ending it. We're talking about getting the steps, getting the tools that you need to carry on and achieve your goal, whether it's to lose weight, get stronger. You know, in any event, it's going to help you live a better life, a healthier life. And, you know, most importantly, be there for your family in the coming years. And you take care of yourself, you increase your odds of doing that. So, Tony, just one more time, tell the folks how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in utilizing your, your... And I think you had an offer, by the way, for the S-Factor folks, didn't you, with a free session if they mentioned the show? Absolutely. If we you don't want mention to forget that. the show, you get a free session. Um, you can reach me at 609-674-8077. Text ready. That's right. Text ready, folks. When you're ready to get in the best shape of your life, Tony Basile is here with Tony Fit. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to The S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. You can catch me here the first Saturday of the month on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. And also, if you happen to miss this broadcast or any of the S Factor broadcasts, you can listen to them at scienceanimated.net or your favorite streaming services. If you just go to Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and you type in the S Factor, you'll find me there with all the past S Factors. And as a matter of fact, when this show ends today... By around tomorrow, it will be available to listen as a podcast. You can download it. If you have Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, please leave me a star rating. I would appreciate that very much and support scienceanimated.net through visiting the YouTube channel, which the easiest way to get there is through scienceanimated.net. You can visit the Science Animated Facebook page at facebook.com slash scienceanimated and twitter.com slash scienceanimated. Give me a review, a like, a share. Every little bit helps. And of course, if you want to check out that 40-minute movie, Science Animated Human Body, it's excellent for children of all ages. It's family-friendly. Kids watch it over and over again. I've gotten letters from people all across the United States. The kids love it. They can't get enough of it. And you can also check out the free content. I have Orbit Show on scienceanimated.net as well. Any support you can give me, I'd appreciate it. And I want to thank you again for listening. Now, I promised you earlier we talk about Elon Musk's Neuralink. Here's the story. Elon Musk says his startup Neuralink has wired up a monkey to play video games using its mind. They're really forging ahead with this technology. Check this out. Tesla boss Elon Musk said in an interview late Sunday that a monkey has been wired up to play video games with its mind by a company he founded called Neuralink. Neuralink put a computer chip into the monkey's skull and used tiny wires to connect it to his brain, Musk said. It's not an unhappy monkey, he said during a talk on Clubhouse, a new social media app 
gaining popularity that allows people to have informal voice chats while others listen in. You can't even see where the neural implant was put in, except that he's got a slight, like, dark mohawk. The billionaire who also spoke about space travel, colonies on Mars, crypto, artificial intelligence, and COVID-19 vaccines said Neuralink is trying to figure out if it can use its chips to get monkeys to play mind pong with each other. That would be pretty cool, said Musk, who is CEO of Neuralink, in addition to SpaceX and Tesla. Headquartered in San Francisco, Neuralink's team of around 100 people is trying to develop an, an implementable computer brain interface. Now, it's often known as CBI, Computer Brain Interface. Musk describes it as a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires that go into your brain. So we were talking about artificial intelligence earlier with there being some real concern over whether or not we can control it once it is created. Now this is Elon Musk's response to that dilemma. Neuralink. We become cyborg-ish. We become part of the AI. Because we're, we're not going to be able to compete intellectually with such an immeasurably intelligent machine. So he thinks our best bet moving forward is to become part cyborg, essentially. Some people think about that and say, this is all science fiction. This is rubbish. This is never going to happen. This is crazy. I don't even know why people are trying to do this. Some people feel that way. But think about all the bright sides of the things that we can that will help us cure and find answers to. Think about people with disabilities. I mean, people that are blind. But that technology will enable them to do. They'll be able to see again. Deaf people will be able to hear. I mean, this technology can open up a lot of doors. People that... Oh, my goodness, that have limbs blown off in war can have a replacement robotic arm that you control with your mind like you do your hand right now. They could control their hand or their foot or their leg or their arm. You know, sure, it's a robotic arm. There's no bone and flesh anymore there. But the key here is they would be able to use their mind. They would be able to use their mind to control that. That is remarkable. And that is just scraping the iceberg of what this could potentially do. Does it sound a little freaky? I mean, having an implant and have things wired up to your brain? Yeah, it does. It's going to be very interesting to follow Neuralink's progress in the years ahead. But here, they're hooking up Neuralink to monkeys so they can play video games with their minds. I mean, this is really moving quickly. Now, Elon Musk said that the aim of Neuralink is to increase the rate at which information can flow from the human brain to a machine. Now, keeping up with AI, like we're just talking about. AI is only going to get smarter, and Neuralink's technology could one day allow humans to go along for the ride, according to Musk. To illustrate the pace of progress in AI... The innovator, who believes that machines' intelligence will eventually surpass human intelligence, pointed to breakthroughs made at research labs like OpenAI, which he co-founded, and DeepMind, a London AI lab that was acquired by Google in 2014. DeepMind has run out of games to win at, basically, said Musk, who was an early investor in the company. People are, in effect, already cyborgs because they have a 
digital layer thanks to phones, computer, and, computers, and appliances, according to Musk. With a direct neural interface, we can improve the bandwidth between your cortex and your digital layer by many orders of magnitude, he said. I'd say probably at least 1,000 or maybe 10,000 or more. So Elon Musk knows that we carry our phones around with us all the time, and we are absolutely smarter with our cell phones in our hands than if you take them away. Have you ever thought about something or been in conversation with someone and they, they talk about, I don't know, anything, a, you know, a car or some kind of trivia, and you want to find the answer? You say, hey, Google, and you find the answer. My phone just went off because I said, hey, Google. So it is, he is saying it's part of us already. It's just externally a part of us. And he wants to bring it inside of us. By the way, if you want to talk to me about this, if you want to email me, email me at info at scienceanimated.net. Info at scienceanimated.net. I want to know what you think about Neuralink. Maybe next month I'll read your, your response on the air. The cortex is the part of the brain that plays a key role in memory, attention, perceptual awareness, thought, language, and consciousness. The digital layer he refers to could be anything from a person's iPhone to their Twitter account. Long-term, Musk claims that Neuralink could allow humans to send concepts to one another using telepathy and exist in a saved state after they die that could then be put into a robot or another human. He acknowledged that he was delving into sci-fi territory. But isn't that what all of this is? I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time is Star Trek. All, I mean, I love the original and the next generation, and then they came out with one in the early 2000s called Enterprise that I liked. Think about what Star Trek had. They had those communicators, right? Those communicators are our current smartphones. That didn't seem crazy in the 60s when the original Star Trek, they had communicators. People thought that was way out there. Now we have that technology. So eventually sci-fi can become reality. In the near term, Musk wants to implant Neuralink chips into the quadriplegics who have brain or spinal injuries so that they can control a computer mouse or their phone or really any device, just by thinking. Musk said Neuralink will probably be releasing some videos that show the company's progress in the next month or so. Now, I remember I covered one of this in, um, in last summer on the S-Factor. In August, Neuralink conducted a live demo of its technology on three pigs. An audience was shown real-time neural signals from one of the pigs, which Musk named Gertrude. Musk used the talk on Clubhouse which was live-streamed on YouTube after it reached capacity, to try to entice engineers to apply for a job at Neuralink. If somebody listening is good at designing Fitbit, Apple Watches, phones, computers, or various kinds, then actually they would be a great fit for Neuralink. So if you fit that criteria and you're out there listening to Cruising 92.1 WVLT right now, you might be a good fit for Elon Musk at Neuralink. He is openly looking to recruit people to work on this technology. We're going to take a quick time out, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this interstellar object that passed through our solar system. There's a scientist that thinks it's proof of advanced alien civilization. We're going to talk about that. You are listening to The S-Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. We will be right back.
Welcome back to The Yes Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. You can catch me here the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock right here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. I want to thank you for joining me today. And as always, The Yes Factor is brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net. ScienceAnimated.net is a family-friendly website. It's all about science. I think you and your family would absolutely love it. People across the country love ScienceAnimated.net. Check it out. Now, I remember when I was little, I used to watch the show. I don't think it's on the air anymore. It was called Unsolved the Mysteries. And one thing in particular that I loved when I was growing up would be a good UFO story. It just mesmerized me. Are we alone in the universe? If you look at the night sky and you see all the stars out there, it seems like an impossibility for us to be alone. Well, there's a Harvard University professor that had made that has made headlines recently because this gentleman believes that an interstellar object that we were that we watched roll through our solar system recently, he is convinced that it is a fragment from an advanced civilization. So check this out. This is from Scientific American. Astronomer Avi Loeb says aliens have visited, and he's not kidding. Avi Loeb is no stranger to controversy. The prolific Harvard University astrophysicist has produced pioneering and provocative research on black holes, gamma ray bursts, and the early universe, among other standard topics of his field. But for more than a decade, he has also courted a much more conscientious subject, namely space aliens including how to find them. Until relatively recently, Loeb's most high-profile work in that regard was his involvement with Breakthrough Starshot, a project funded by Silicon Valley billionaire Yuri Miller to send laser-boosted mirror-like spacecraft called light sails on high-speed voyages to nearby stars. All that began to change, however, in late 2017. When astronomers around the world scrambled to study an interstellar visitor, the first ever seen that briefly came within range of their telescopes. The object's discoverers dubbed it Oumuamua, a Hawaiian term that roughly translates to scout. The unavoidably cursory examinations of this celestial passerby showed it had several properties that defied easy natural explanation. Oumuamua's apparent shape, which was like a 100-meter-long cigar or pancake, did not closely resemble any known asteroid or comet. Neither did its brightness, which revealed Oumuamua's was at least 10 times more reflective than one of our solar system's typical space rock, shiny enough to suggest a gleam of burnished metal. Most strangely, as it zoomed off after swooping by the sun, the object sped up faster than could be explained by our star's waning gravitational grip alone. Run-of-the-mill comets can exhibit similar accelerations because of the rocket-like effect of evaporating gases jetting from their sunlight-wormy, icy surfaces, but no signs of such jets were seen around Oumuamua. To Loeb, the most plausible explanation was as obvious as it was sensational. Taken together with its possibly pancake-like shape and high-reflective and high reflectivity, Oumuamua's anomalous acceleration made perfect sense if the object was in fact 
a light sail, perhaps a derelict from some long-expired galaxy culture, primed by years spent pondering how we might someday find evidence of cosmic civilizations in the sky's depths. He became increasingly convinced that with the Moa Moa, the evidence had instead found us. In late 2018, Loeb and his co-author Shimuel Bali, a Harvard postdoctorate fellow, published a paper in the Astrophysical Journal Letters arguing that Oumuamua had been nothing less than humanity's first contact with an artifact of extraterrestrial intelligence. The paper has been a smash hit with journalists, but has fallen flat with most of Loeb's astrobiology-focused peers, who insist that, while strange, Oumuamua's properties still place it well within the realm of natural phenomenon. To claim otherwise, Loeb's critics say, is cavalier at best and destructive at worst for the long struggle to remove the stigma of credulous UFO and alien abduction reports from what should unquestionably be a legitimate field of scientific inquiry. Loeb has now taken his case to the public with the book Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth, which is just as much about the author's life story as it is about Moa's fundamental mysteries. Scientific American spoke with Loeb about the book, his controversial hypothesis, and why he believes science is in crisis. Now, Avi Loeb says in the interview, people ask why I get this media attention. The only reason is because my colleagues are not using common sense. Contrast string theory and multiverses with what I and many others say which is that based on data from NASA's Kepler mission. Roughly half of the galaxy's sun-like stars have a planet about the size of Earth at about the same distance of Earth from the sun. So you can have liquid water on the surface and the chemistry of life as we know it. So if you roll the dice on life billions of times in the Milky Way, what is the chance that we're alone? Minuscule, most likely. To say that you arrange for similar circumstances, you get similar outcome, is to me the most conservative statement imaginable. So what I would expect most people to endorse that, to hug me and say, great, we should look for these things because they must be very likely. Instead, what I see is a backlash that shows a loss of intellectual compass, because how else can you explain working on string theory's extra dimensions or the multiverse when we have no clue for their existence. But that is considered mainstream. That's crazy. And he is right here. Many times, the mere thought or mention of potential proof of alien civilization is just laughed at. So far, what do you think about a V. Loeb, this professor? And have you ever seen photos of a Moa Moa? They're all over the internet. You can look it up. It is unlike anything that has ever passed through our solar system that we have seen. You know, most stuff is round. This is like a it's like a rigid rectangular chunk. It's not exactly what we're used to seeing. He goes on to say, allow me to put this in a very specific context. I'm obviously not a rebel outsider. I'm in leadership positions. I chair the board on physics and astronomy of the National Academies. The board is overseeing the astronomy and astrophysics 
the Cato Survey, which will set major science priorities for NASA and the National Science Foundation. When it is released later this year, now I see astronomers talking about future telescopes costing billions of dollars, with the main motivation being to find life by looking for oxygen in the atmospheres of exoplanets. That is a noble wish. But if you look at the Earth for its first two billion years or so, the planet did not have much oxygen in its atmosphere, even though it had a lot of microbial life. That's point number one. Point number two is that even if you have oxygen, you can get it from natural processes such as breaking apart water molecules. So even if you spend these billions and find oxygen and maybe even methane along with it, people will still argue about it forever. Anyway, my point is that with these same instruments, you don't need any extra investment of funds. You can actually get conclusive evidence for life, intelligence, and technology. What would that be? Industrial pollution in the same atmosphere. You could, for instance, look for chlorofluorocarbons. These complex molecules only produced on Earth for refrigeration systems. If you found that on another planet, there's just no way nature would produce these molecules naturally. You would have conclusive evidence that life and more existed there. There are, of course, science fiction stories about aliens, and there are many unsubstantiated UFO reports. Now, suppose there was some literature about the magical properties of COVID-19 that had no bearing in reality. Would that mean scientists should never work on finding a vaccine to this pandemic? And he says, no. I don't see the search for technological signatures any differently from the search for the nature of dark matter. We have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in searching for weekly interacting massive particles, a leading dark matter candidate. And so far, those searches have failed. It doesn't mean there were a waste. Going down dark alleys is part of the scientific process. And in, terms of, and in terms of risk and science, we are supposed to put everything on the table. We cannot just avoid certain ideas because we worry about the consequences of discussing them because there are great risk in that too. That would be similar to telling Galileo not to speak about Earth moving around the sun and to avoid looking in his telescope because it was dangerous to the philosophy of the day. We should not want to repeat that experience. We need an open dialogue among scientists where people present different ideas and then allow evidence to dictate which one is right. In the case of a Moa, I say the available evidence suggests this particular object is artificial. And the way to test this is to find more examples of the same and examine them. It's as simple as that. Now V. Loeb goes on to say this, I was the one who suggested the light sail to Yuri Milner as a promising concept for interstellar space, spacecraft in the first place. So I had it in my vocabulary, and as a, and as a result of that, I imagined it as applied to a moa moa. Now you might ask, well, isn't that a biased view? Well, I would say this occurs again and again in physics and in SETI. In its context of SETI, which if you don't, if you've never heard about that, SETI is the, the program that was listening to radio signals coming from outside our solar system. SETI stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. 
Now he says, in the context of SETI, you know, once we developed radio technology, we started searching the sky looking for radio, radio signals. It was the same for lasers. It's just natural that once you work on some technology, that you imagine maybe it exists out there and search for it. So I would not deny the reason the late sale idea was in my brain because I had previously worked on it. We do not have a photo. We do not have a photo of a Moa Moa, but its brightness, owing to reflected sunlight, varied by a factor of 10 as it rotated periodically every eight hours. This implies that a Moa Moa has an extreme elongated shape with its length at least five to ten times larger than its projected width. Moreover, an analyst of its tumbling motion concluded that it would be the highest excitation state expected from its tumultuous journey. The inferred shape is more extreme than for all asteroids previously seen in our solar system, which have an, a length-to-width ratio of at most three. Now, in contemplating the possibility of an artificial origin, we should keep in mind what Sherlock Holmes said. When you have concluded, when you have excluded the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. The Kepler satellite revealed that about a quarter of all the stars in the Milky Way have a habitable planet the size of Earth, with the potential to have liquid water on its surface and the chemistry of life as we know it. It is therefore conceivable that interstellar space is full of artificially made debris, either in the form of devices that serve a purpose on reconnaissance mission or in the form of defunct equipment. However, to validate an exotic artificial origin for a Moa Moa, we need more data. As Carl Sagan said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and how true is that? So what do you think about a Moa Moa? Do you think it was artificially made? Do you think there are advanced civilizations out there? If you do, I want to hear from you. And either way, I want to hear from you. Email me, info at scienceanimated.net. Let's start up a dialogue. I want to know what you think about this. And I want to thank you for joining me today. It was a pretty cool episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can catch me here the first Saturday of every month on Cruising 92.1 WVLT at 1 o'clock. And if you happen to miss any of these S-Factor shows, you can check them out at scienceanimated.net. And you can check out the podcast version of the show, your favorite podcast channels, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, type in the S-Factor. You'll find me there. Please give me a star rating. I appreciate that. Check out scienceanimated.net. There's great free content. There's content there to purchase to help support the show. I want to thank you guys for joining me today. You have been listening to The S-Factor with your host, Chuck Shazer. Take care, everybody. You have been listening to The S-Factor, brought to you by scienceanimated.net on Cruisin' 92.1 WVLT. See you.